Hello and welcome to another edition of Ignite Your Success podcast. And today I'm joined by Mr. Philip DeBella, known as the Coffee King here in Brisbane, mate. So welcome, sir. Hey, Brad. How are you? <laughs> mate, excellent, excellent. We go back a long way, which I'll, I'll chat about shortly. But, mate, at the moment, your uh, your new venture, uh, I'm keen to hear a little bit about it. Um, I, I know small parts, but I'd love to hear a bit about Coffee Commune, um, how it came about and, and what's it all about. Yeah, so the Coffee Commune is all about bringing the community together to collaborate and um, it's, it's, it's a movement that's growing around the world in all industries, being building ecosystems um, and the whole concept is in our industry, in the coffee industry, is to bring people from all walks of life in the industry together, from a coffee enthusiast to a barista to a coffee roaster to a supplier, so anybody that supplies uh, the coffee industry, to bring them together to do business with each other, to help accelerate their potential um, you know, it's about building efficiencies so that they become profitable. And if you're profitable, you become sustainable. Uh, and like I said, it's a trend that's growing around the world in terms of all industries where people are saying, how can I become more efficient so I can become profitable and therefore sustainable? And ecosystems are something you're going to see pop up uh, over the next three to five years so that it's a great way to help educate people, to bring people together, to share ideas, to get buying power. Uh, and, and ultimately, like I said, our brand promise to accelerate their potential. Mate, absolutely love it. So well, we've got these, the element of community. That's probably the, the big thing I hear there. Um, but then if I'm also following you, it's like your, your, your mission in this is to, is to be able to assist everybody else to build a, a better business, you know, and be able to get what they want. Correct. Yeah. Look, I, um, you know, I was fortunate enough in my journey so far, I, was, I made my money quite young and I uh, said, well, what's next? And I'm far too young to retire and my wife will kill me if I did, um, <laughs> you know, and she might want to leave me if I, did, if I retired, I'd be hanging around too long. But um, no, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in that position where, you know, it's more of your calling. Uh, and, and I really get a buzz. My passions, which we explored through the first book, um, Alan wrote, Entrepreneurial Intelligence, we discovered that, um, I discovered and was able to quantify that my passions are actually people, opportunity and education. And, um, and, and now I understand why I feel so at home with the coffee commune because, um, you know, I'm passionate about people, I'm passionate about opportunities, I'm passionate about education and not a day goes by that I'm not dealing with someone, not learning something or sharing my knowledge with someone um, and helping them explore their opportunity. Uh, it, it really is. I have to say, um, I, I said to somebody yesterday, I think the um, Coffee Commune is my best project yet uh, for that reason. That actually fulfills me uh, and, and ignites the passion in me around people, opportunity um, and education. Mate, love it, love it. Uh, so clear, so concise as well. And you, know, you can obviously hear the passion coming through your voice when you speak about it. Um, and obviously, you obviously didn't start with the Coffee Commune because that is your current uh, operation. Let's go back now to uh, Debella Coffee. Now, um, especially, be, be plenty of people will be very familiar with that brand. Now, you kicked that off in 2002, if Correct. I've done my research correctly. Correct. And uh, in 2014, you you exited that business. And uh, if I've got my research correct, you on that day you had around about 47 million reasons to celebrate is that also correct <laughs> yeah i did it was actually a little bit more which was better but uh, yeah 47 <laughs> was a recorded but um yeah at the end of the deal it was closer to a 60 mil because there was other stuff that we did and and obviously um bonuses but again uh the money didn't matter um people said did you sell because of money i said no um i was actually um it didn't change my lifestyle um, in terms of money. Yeah. What it did was able to allow me to focus on me personally and lose the weight that I needed to lose mm. and get healthy. Mm. And it allowed me to focus on my family. Mm. Um, you know, because I was traveling three weeks of the month, um, I was 70 kilos overweight and the only goals I was kicking was uh, financial ones and um, they're no good to uh, to you if you don't have the health and the family in order. But yeah, I um, started in 2002 with $5,000, which is what makes the story amazing. 
uh, and exited, you know, as they reported, 47-plus, um, officially after earnout and everything in 2017. Uh, and, and it was a great journey, and it, and it helped me learn a lot about me, about people. Um, it obviously put me on the map, um, you know, locally, but also, in, um, you know, Australia-wide, but internationally. Uh, I've got some great colleagues and friends all over the world. I've got businesses still over the world. Yeah, um, yeah it was a, it's a really full-on part of my life and journey, but when I look back at it now with fresh eyes, I go, geez, um, it, you know, we fit in a lot in 15 years. It was like <laughs> a lifetime of work in 15 years. It was... You know, because people see what's above the line, they see the um, the iceberg, you yeah. know, but they don't see what's underneath it. They don't see, you know, it's like a building. We see a beautiful building go up and we see it pretty and it's finished. And But, yeah, that building can't go anywhere unless the foundations are solid. Uh, and, um, and as you know yourself, dealing with businesses, yeah. uh, you know, the better the business looks above the line, the, the more work that's been put in under underneath. the line. Yeah. yeah. Mate, absolutely, 100%. And now um, if we could, you know, potentially rewind the clock just for a minute, uh, we, if, we, if we go right back to the, um, you know, the early days back in 2002 when you kicked off, if, I'm, if you know, reading through your book as well, which is a great read, by the way, um, if I understand correctly, you were actually living on, in the premises. Could you sort of rewind all the way back to that for era sure. and just tell us a bit about that part? For sure. As we know, we've all got to make some decisions and, and – take some risks and as I say get in the river if you don't get in the river you can't swim and um, I had a, an apartment paid off uh, and I needed a premises and um, and the only way I could afford to buy a building would be to sell my apartment yeah. so uh, I sold my apartment and bought 82 Abbotsford Road and everyone thought I was mad yeah. uh, you know getting rid of a personal property to buy a commercial property which meant I had to sleep uh, I had to set up a bedroom upstairs which I believe I still don't know if it was legal or illegal <laughs> but um, you know, probably too late to prosecute me anyway but uh. but uh, yeah I had to take the risk and um, can I tell you I sold my apartment for $135,000 yes and I bought the building for 330 330 um, yeah and now I own four of them, and I can tell you, I don't know if it's fortuitous, but it was 330, 660, 1.2, and 2.4. So go. <laughs> dub- every building I bought doubled in um, in cost, but in saying that, obviously, that's probably, you know, that's that's worth a mint now. Yeah. Um, so it, it ended up being a great decision. But at the time, you don't know it's a great decision, right? And, and if I can jump back to 2002, right? So how, what age were you then? I was 26. 26, okay. So you, you had your apartment, you sold that, moved in. And then were you uh, single then? No, we were dating so i was dating with um my wife yes or my wife thank yep. god and um yeah we were dating we didn't get married till the end of 2003 yes um but yeah so i um i was still um you know so we were dating i was living on my own yeah um yeah and and, and of course you've got lots coming at you you've started a new business and you, you're now gone heavily into debt uh so you know there's a lot of things to consider and um you know you look back and hindsight that's what i say is, is a wonderful thing but mm. as you're going through it it can be feel like a bit of a you know a wind tunnel where everything's coming at you uh, but um, and that's why I say to people now, pen and paper, sit down. That's the one thing that saved me was always sitting down with pen and paper, yep. and uh, writing down and getting things out. And then even if they're not clear, they became clear. Yes, that's awesome, man. I love it. And then how long did you live there for on on site, roughly? Ah, uh, well, till well, officially, you know, I married <laughs> a good a good Italian woman, so officially <laughs> until uh, two thousand and three, December twenty. Yeah. Um, you know, so um, yeah, but, you know, but no, but I mean, I was there and I was coming and going and and stuff like that. But that was yeah. my base. That's where I had and, most of my stuff. And, and so you started the business up on on five thousand dollars. And at that point in time, I imagine for you there were you, you, there was a lot of um, I had to go out there. I had to hustle. Like I read again in the book, you going down there to the 
the farmer's market, setting up the coffee store. Could right. you explain a little bit about some of those early days? And I guess from a, a lead generation and marketing yeah. point of view, yeah. what sort of things, you know, were you doing at that point in time to try and make yeah. it happen? Well, you know, and I always try to put in the context as the listeners are getting something from it. Uh, a lot of people in my industry were becoming, and still do, unfortunately, um, are, are working hard to become experts in coffee. You know, and in your industry, they might be becoming experts on on the process of lifting weights, training, or, or yeah. burning, more, more technically skilled. Correct. Or, yep. Yeah, correct. But what made me different was I became an expert in people. Um, yep. I focused on the outside in. I said, "Yep, I've got to know my coffee. I've got to know my product. I've got to know how to make a coffee." But I've really got to be great with people. So I went down to the farmers markets, put cups of coffee into people's hands, and said, "Hey, yeah. do you love it?" Um, yeah, I do. Why? I don't need to put sugar in this. Uh, I love. Oh, it blends well with milk. A lot of other coffees are milky. You know, so we took that and we honed in on it and said, right, people love the fact that this coffee doesn't need sugar. People love the fact this coffee blends well with milk. That becomes our story we're going to tell. Yeah. So when we'd walk into cafes to try and sell wholesale, we'd go, where this product is different is you don't need as much sugar and it blends well with milk. Try it. Yeah. Great. Now, we were able to build the business from the outside in, not the inside out. Mm. And I find that a lot of people, and again, looking back and analysing it for the listeners to take something away, is that lesson number one is don't focus you've got to be an expert in what you do there's no mm. doubt about it right you've got to know your stuff but if you know your stuff and you're not an expert with people you're never going to be able to connect with the person so what we do in business is connect a person to a product or service and if you don't know how to emotionally engage you won't mm. be able to connect them and so while a lot of my colleagues in the industry you know can tell you the breakdown of the molecules of a of a coffee bean yep <laughs> um i can tell you the breakdown of what makes people choose coffee yes or what makes them choose your coffee so the key is Focus more on the people element and engaging with your customer and possible customers than what you do in your own, you know, product and, and business because that's the part that's going to get you emotionally connected to get the outcome you need, which is business. Yeah, that is so good. And so back in those days going out, like getting you know, the Bella Coffee into cafes, all the rest of it, I imagine you were doing most of the you – were, you were doing your own prospecting calls, turning up, meeting people Correct. face-to-face. Was that how it worked back yeah. then? Yeah, so I had to be efficient with time. So time is the key there, right? Pre-Facebook days, of course. Yeah, pre-Facebook. <laughs> And, you know, technology sped everything up. You know, iPhones have sped everything up. Technology, social media has sped everything up. It's a lot less to market now to get voice out there, to get your message out there. It's a lot cheaper. you just got to be a lot more strategic because there's a lot more white noise coming through. But back then, it was simple. I had to be very, very good with my time. Break down my time, right. Mondays, I'm going to go and hunt for business. Tuesday, I'm going to call for orders and roast the coffee. Wednesday, I'm going to deliver the orders. Thursday, I'm going to collect money. Friday, I'm going to strategize and do a bit of, you know, catch-up account management work. So, you know, and I can still remember that stru- that, that structure now, and mm. I was disciplined. And the number one thing I see with people in their early days of business is they breed bad habits. And the, the best advice I've got about bad habits is get a piece of paper and a pen, draw a vertical line, and put one degree to the right, Put a dot and start drawing a line and see where it takes you. Bad habits, and this is what happened with me with my weight, is bad habits day one don't do much. Day two, not much. Day three, not much. Day four, not much. But by the time you get to day 100, day 200, that one degree off course has become five degrees, 10 degrees, 15 degrees, 20 degrees. And I did it with my weight. I, you know, people say, how did you put on so much weight? I started in 2002. I was fit. I was healthy. Yeah. By the time I got to 2017, I was 77 kilos overweight. Yeah. And it was by putting on 100 grams a week. 
Yep. Now, if you look at you know a fifteen year period of putting on a hundred grams a week, even fifty grams a week, you yep. put that weight on, you know, you can understand why someone's seventy kilos overweight. Yeah. So stay disciplined, stay focused, and don't go that one degree off course, whether it's personal, professional, family, right at the beginning. Yeah, outstanding, great advice, and and so poignant for for people in business as well. So transferable, and obviously something that our industry relates uh, very well to. Going back to again, I, I just love the story about where it all started. So one thing that we speak about with a lot of our clientele who, who are startup businesses who are trying to build their fitness business is I guess the concept of uh, going without in the short term so that you can have more in the long term and yeah. so so sleeping at the warehouse whereas you could have gone, gone and say rented an apartment you could have done a bunch of things you didn't you chose not to and so that part there could you shed a bit of light on some of the things you did in the early days yeah. with that concept in mind yeah totally look and I say this you can't have it all um, and, you know, and the, the, the first, and I can articulate it well now because I go back and I reflect, break, your life's broken down into personal, professional and family. It doesn't matter what stage of your life you are, whether you're a kid, I do this with my 13-year-old and 11-year-old, your life's broken down to personal, professional, family, and you can't give all three areas the same attention. You can't get balance, right? It's about harmony. So when I started, the priority was work. The second priority was my girlfriend at the time, which was my fiance really at the yeah. time. And the third was me. Um, and what happened? Well, the priority number one, I did well and I built an amazing business over, you know, if you take a 10 year period, yeah. the business went from nothing to being the biggest in Queensland in 10 years yeah. and then started to branch out over in, into state. Um, family was my second priority. What did I do in that 10 year period from starting? Well, I had a fiance, I got married, we had a baby in 2008. That progressed. What happened? I suffered, meaning personally the mm. weight the weight suffered you can't have it all now when i came back to the apartment if i was if i when i bought that building if i hadn't sold just say if i hadn't sold my um, property and i rented a building mm. then you know as i got bigger i would have had to then have a look around find a different building a bigger building i might not have been able to rent next door and my focus would have changed so mm. making the decisions i made long-term decisions but i made them today mm. and so long-term decision in terms of work was right I'm going to sell my property to buy my own property so that I control, you know, I control the building. I own the building. If I want to make changes to it, I can. Um, I still don't know whether the concept's going to work. Um, so I kept it in mind. And if it doesn't work, I can sell the building or I can rent the building out. Mm. Um, so I made long-term decisions, but I made them in the now. I didn't try and have it all at that time. I was always working towards. So my financial goal was to have enough money to do what I want when I want. Mm. Now, in order to have some sort of lifestyle, that's how I started the markets. So the money I was making in the business as I got a customer number one, customer number two, I rolled it back into the business and I actually lived off the money that I would make at the markets because I did markets Saturday and I did markets Sunday. Yep. So I was working seven days a week. But again, um, it, it, it is it, that's where the focus had to be. That's where you know um, my focus had to be, my discipline. But I also had to have the people around me that supported that. And I was lucky that Jana was a very, very big supporter. She was working in government Monday to Friday yes. and getting up at 3.30 in the morning on a Saturday to come and do the markets with me. Yeah, um, that's and I, outstanding. And I told her to have Sundays off. She would still, you know, she was still happy to come and and do the markets on Sunday. And I said, no, you know, you obviously you need the one day off. So yeah. you've got to have good people around you as well. 
Yeah, that's awesome, man. And um, that also extends now. I, I actually met you and you became a, cl- a client of ours and we had the privilege of, of working with you now. Um, I've got a good story. For, I, th- I feel like it's a good story anyway on where you would you placed your values at the time in terms of not frivolously spending money. So back then I built myself up and this is when, you know, our audience knows that I got up to charging $400 for PT sessions and then we had our whole team at, you know, $440 and then it went $165, $135, $99, 88 and as I was, I obviously knew of you and um, I was, you know, I had some high profile clients. I guess in my mind, I was probably thinking that, well, I'm assuming this is probably going to be my next high profile person. And as I presented the $400 rates to you, you looked at me quite perplexed, I should say. And uh, you sort of, you looked at me and you said, uh, mate, I don't pay my lawyer this much. You go, <laughs> you go, mate, I'm not, I'm not paying this to train with you. <laughs> and you ended up training with one of our other trainers, yeah. which was all good. I, I always use that philosophy, some will, some way, and it's yeah. not my yeah. decision, right? But what I, again, what I like about it is, I guess, back to the business side of it, you're going, well, at that point in time, and this was a, a number of years into your journey, you probably had the disposable income, but from your perspective, it's where you saw value, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it is. And, 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 you know, and I think I might've added something like, if I'm going to pay you $400, now you better lose the weight for me. You know? <laughs> so um, if only someone had paid a thousand dollars an hour, right? But um, yeah, it is. And it, and the story in that is it, it's about value and what you know and what you see value in someone else doesn't see value and it doesn't mean you're not worth it, right? You are worth what you believe you're worth, but you're worth what someone's prepared to pay. And you yeah. had plenty of clients that were prepared to pay it um, because you were worth it. Um, it, and, and people forget this because they, you know, they'll, and this is one thing you never did. You never got arrogant about it. You've never been, you've never been that type of person mm. because you say, right, I'm, I'm not going to be for everyone, but I'm going to be for a certain type of audience. And that's yep. why you've been successful. Other people would take that and go, well, piss this guy off. You know, who the hell does he think he is? Well, <laughs> and then they start to change their marketing strategy and it starts to alienate people. And the best industry that I can talk about is art. And I'm not an artist. My daughter loves art and she's very good at it. But... I can the same canvas you would give me, the same pencils you would give me, and the same canvas you give her, and the same pencils you would give her. I draw you something, she draws you something. It takes the same amount of time, you know. Um, mine's going to look like crap. Hers is going to look amazing. Yep. Um, you're going to pay a lot more for hers than you are with for mine. Why? Because you see value in that more than you see value in mine. But yet the cost was the same. Yes. And that's similar with your industry. It's it's all about value. What do they see value in? And and it's a great point to point to make to people in business. Is it's not often the quality of the product, right? It's what value and everything else that comes with that product. Mm. Because at the end of the day in your business, you're not actually lifting the weight for the client. They've got to lift it. But yet how they lift it, whether they hurt themselves, whether it does them the benefit, whether they get the benefit out of it, you know, whether they want to come back, whether they feel emotionally engaged, whether they're they're inspired to lift heavier, whatever the outcome is. The moment that it goes tick, 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 they will pay whatever they see the value in that. Love it. Mm, so good, so good. And hammers home the point that we love sharing with our, our audience. Um, the other part that we love sharing with our people is the importance of um, knowing your numbers, stats and figures, all that part of it. And it's a large p- p- part of it. You know the fitness industry well and we've got some, you know, we're, we're well connected to many colleagues in the industry. So you've seen plenty of trainers, plenty of fitness businesses and so forth. So can you shed a bit of light on your, how you place importance around stats, data, numbers and figures yeah. and so forth and the importance for our crew? Yeah, you 
you've got to know your numbers. For, um, you know, people say, oh, but I pay someone. No, 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 no. You know, you can pay a lawyer, but you've still got to know the basic laws. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> lawyer's not going to tell you how to drive your car and all this sort of stuff, right? Business same. If you're going to be in business, it doesn't matter how small or big it is, you have to have a basic understanding of numbers. You need to know the difference between, you know, income and expenses. You need to understand fixed costs. You need to understand cost of goods. You need to understand rent. Um, and the biggest mistake I see people do in many industries, especially the cafe industry, the money that comes in the till is not yours. You know, the money that comes through, you know, into your account for training is not yours until you've paid all your bills. Yes. Um, and that's a basic understanding of numbers. So knowing what your rent is, knowing what your um, fixed costs are, you know, what your cost of goods, whether it's providing towels for people, providing a bottle of water to each client, uh, whatever it is, you know, it, it, you've got to know your numbers, you've got to know your cost and you've got to, and I say to people, build it from the bottom up, mm. not out. So it's not, oh, I'm charging you 100 an hour or 200 an hour. It's right. I need... This broken down. My client base is a hundred people. My um, my rent then per person is twenty dollars an hour. My you know I give every client a bottle of water at the beginning. You know of, of a ten pack, I give them a, an intro pack that costs a hundred dollars. Mm. Know your numbers because you can't spend more than what you make. And and I wish politicians would listen to that. Um, <laughs> you, know, you can't spend more than what to- you make. Topic for a whole another podcast. Yeah, so. <laughs> we have a whole week's worth of podcast. But <laughs> but it's something I teach my kids already. I what you know I give them. It doesn't matter how much money I give them for whatever they need. I say you bring back 20 percent so the other day i gave my son ten dollars and he goes you want two dollars back i said you know the rules yeah you know that's that's the way it works and 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 i'm just trying to teach them basic lessons of numbers is you you've got ten dollars you spend eight you keep two um and hopefully that transfers when the numbers get bigger um you know always uh, my dad always said to me plan for good in times of bad and in times of bad plan for good and if you keep that model in place so when things are going bad you're planning for the good times when things are going good plan for the bad times. I've never been so conservative. I'm in the best financial position I've ever been. Yeah. But I'm so much more conservative now because I'm planning that if things, you know, change over the next three to five years, yeah. I don't it doesn't change my money with my philosophy with money, which is to have enough money to do what you want when you want. And that doesn't mean I'm happy I love driving nice cars, but I'm happy to downgrade the car yeah uh, you know and it's all relative i'm happy to get rid of the cleaner i'm happy to get rid of the the pool person the gardener yeah um you know if you can do it and i heard on a great podcast the other day about global on the global truth squad past is that what people don't realize is you know you look at somebody and you go oh that asshole's got a cleaner versus that guy's contributing to the economy because yep. for every cleaner somebody puts on, you're lifting up the productivity levels of the country. Every every gardener you put on, you're lifting the productivity. Every time you're paying somebody for a service, you're employing somebody, mm. you're giving them a job which is increasing the productivity of the country. Mm. Um, and so it comes back, which is a whole other discussion of mindset. So I'm teaching the mindset of money early. People in business need to understand their numbers. They need to have a mindset around numbers. Um you don't have to be an expert in them, but you need to understand that. And the, the, in summary, understand that the money's not yours until mm. you've paid all your bills. So good. So good. Thank you, sir. The, the, um, it reminds me right here in this very office where we were, you know, a number of years ago, we were doing up, we do up our numbers every month and all that sort of stuff. And we we're paying this huge tax bill every month. And it was like, it, we sort of a little met with a little bit of resent, you know, oh, we're going to pay the, the tax again, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then this one month, we're just like, hold on, let's just change our approach to it to go, well, hold on, what are we doing here? What are we contributing? What do we have? We have roads and schools and hospitals Correct. and all this stuff that we're contributing to. And as soon as we, we put the mantra up there, 
it, it changed the way we spoke about it. It changed yeah. our attitude towards it. And it was a big transition uh, for us and, and we pass that on to our clients. Yeah, it's great. Look, um, you know, we're rare up to $33 million. There you go. Me and my wife have paid our personal tax in over and we're 46, both 46 and um, $33 million we're up to. And um, you know what? I'd, uh, I've got no resentment about that. What The life's, life's been good to us. Yes. What I love is the fact that we've never skimped on tax. We've never owed the taxation. You know, we're not one of these overseas registered companies that then offshores or gets paid, you know, tax concessions. Yeah. We've always paid our due taxes. And I say, well, we've contributed $33 million to the economy of Australia to have better roads, better schools. And there's people out there that have contributed far more. And there's people out there that should have contributed far more that have contributed far less, especially these overseas companies. But again, another discussion. But it's a great <laughs> mindset. And, and, yes. it, and if you can motivate your team and the people that work with you on that to say, hey, you know, the, you know, and I was lucky enough to have Alan Piper, AP Eagers, who's Alan's passed away many years ago, um, became a very close friend of mine in my mm. younger years at 17, 18, 19. And he always said, Phil, um, the more tax you pay, the more money you've made. Yes. So you should be happy about paying tax as long as you're doing it's that people don't do the right thing with their money. And then when they've got to pay their tax bill, they get the shits. Yes. Um, so which, which to me is all about mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, to go from $5,000 in a company up to $60 million, there's a big jump there. So w was there, a, you know, throughout that, that was it 12 or so years, there are about, yeah, about 15, fif years. 15 years altogether. So it obviously didn't start like that. So can you just give us a brief sort of timeline? So the first, you know, two to three years, like yeah. was there a point when you were kind of struggling? Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Well, the first year was the hardest, right? So yes. you're a new brand, you're new to the market. Why should I buy your coffee, not somebody else's? And it was the we flipped the model and said we're not selling coffee. Uh, what we became famous for, um, fast forward, you know, and I'll do it in five-year trunks. The first five years is we realised that we're not in the product business. We're not here to sell coffee because there's 2,000 other people that do. Yep. We've got Highly to competitive it. market. Co yep. Correct, with yep. people with big pockets, right? Yep. Um, internationals, multinationals with million-dollar budgets in marketing. Um, giving stuff away left, right and centre. So what we did is we did two major things in the first five years. We learnt that it had to be a service business. So we, we started to focus on how we could service a customer. That changed the demographic of who we targeted and that became an owner-operator. Um, so we targeted an owner-operator. We went for the service side. Coffee is how we got paid. Sure, the coffee was good. It was worth coming back for. It was memorable. But we weren't the cheapest and we weren't the most expensive, but we worked with cafe owners to help their business grow. That mm. was the first five years. The next five years, um, so we'd buy, within that time, at the end of the first five years, we became the biggest in Queensland in what we did. Then it was time to expand, and I always say tomorrow better than today because if you stop, everyone else catches up. Mm. We then said we're going to go interstate, let's tackle the hardest state. Colleagues of mine would go for the easy state. I yep. said let's tackle the hardest, which is Melbourne. Yep. Why not plunge into the river, and if we, if we can tackle the hardest state in Melbourne, then we can go anywhere in Australia. So 2005, 2006 – was Melbourne time. And can I tell you, it was like starting all over again. Mm -hmm. For the first, you know, I was down there for three months in for, the, for a block to, to do a recon and see what it was like. Yeah. And the amount of no's. Your product's good, but why should we buy coffee from a Queenslander? And it hammered home um, the, the fact that we weren't selling a product. We were delivering a service so we built and um, bolted on more services so we had law we had an in-house lawyer that would read your lease we had internal finance person which will go through your books we had someone in marketing that would design your menus build your style guide mm. and we added all these services and then we went into the cafe owners in melbourne and said right what's your biggest problem staff what about it training we, we've got a trainer for that but we've also got someone that can help you with your menus with your logos we've got somebody who can read your leases oh no one's ever done this for us what are you going to charge us nothing what do you mean nothing? Well, you buy your coffee from us. Mm. Um, instead of paying, you know, 18 a kilo, we'll charge you 24, but you're not paying 30. 
and these are the extra services that we bolt on. There's no contract. If you don't like us, then you can leave. Yep. Well, we started to get traction. You know what the great thing about Melbourne is they all talk mm. and they all hang out with other cafe owners. So one and one became two, two and two became four. Fast forward the next five years, we became the biggest in Melbourne. Um, and then that opened up for us to go completely national. And what I learned along the way was how things compound. When you're chugging along, when you're starting your business, the mountain is huge because you're at the bottom. But once you go that five years and you're halfway up the mountain and the next five years you're three quarters of the way up the mountain and then 15 years you're at the top of the mountain and that's when I said now it's time to sell because there was no more mountain to climb. Mm. It's time for somebody else to take it over. And, and my goal of when I sold it, my aim was that they would take it internationally because I hadn't taken that Debella brand internationally. So that's the why. I left something in it for somebody else and, yep. I, and I sold it to a company that had the ability, even though they stuffed it in the end, but they had the ability to take it international. So if you truncate the key messages became – Understand that, yes, you're going to be at the bottom of that mountain, but you've got to build your foundations. It's yes. like putting a building together. The stronger the foundations, the stronger the knowledge. Number two, your no's define you. When somebody says no to you, ask why. So what I became a master is collecting the data and then analysing it. I didn't. When someone said no, I didn't put my tail in between my legs and mm. walk off pissed off and say, oh, it's their loss, not mine. Mm. No, I would say why. You know, oh, we don't know your brand. Oh, we, you're not giving us a reason to change. Oh, well, I can buy coffee from anywhere. So the no's defined us and helped us become better. We built the, lo- the biggest online business um, at the time because I didn't want to put coffee in a supermarket. And everyone kept saying, well, I still buy from a supermarket because it's convenient. So when I kept hearing this, convenient, 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 I said, there's an opportunity here without jeopardising my brand and putting it in a supermarket, I can expand our reach. But the problem I'm going to solve is I'm going to do f- fresh roasted, um, coffee delivered to your door at factory prices. And within two years, we were turning over 150K a month with a 44% net profit online. And mm. that came from a no. When someone said, put this product in a sh- supermarket, yeah. I was the one that said no. Yeah. I said, why won't I? Because I don't want to diminish the brand. What is the problem? Why are you not buying from me? Because you're not convenient. I can't come to you all the time. So we flipped the model, built online, stayed in, t- in line with our brand, yes. and we built a very, very profitable business doing that. Outstanding. What year was that that, that, that oh, went uh, live? About 2010, I think it was. 2010. And yeah. that would still be early days for people sort of you know, getting into that real transacting online because in this day and age, I mean, it's, it, everyone's doing it, right? Yeah. So back then, you would have been an early adopter of, of, of that sort of style. Yes, for sure. I mean, a lot of the young execs. But then it opened up an audience, the PAs, the EAs. So we had a funky brand. If they're drinking our coffee in the cafes, which we dominated, we became the biggest in Australia, 1,200 venues that we had our product in. Um, If they're drinking it in the cafes, they want the same product in the office. So the PAs, the EAs, they're all ordering online. It was delivered. When the delivery box arrived, they knew it was coffee because they could smell it. Because it wouldn't – the moment you place the order, that's when it's roasted. And we're about to launch again under Coffee Commune. I've done a private retail range and it'll launch in in the next few weeks. Um, It's a private retail range. You can't buy it in any shop because we don't supply coffee to coffee shops under a brand yeah. we do it for other roasters um you know and um that's going to be a hit because people are saying where well you know what are you doing about your coffee and i said i've tailored a um you know a range of products that are going to be just for retail so just for home or office um and we're going purely online or, or obviously you can visit our hq at bowen hills yes so good stay tuned for that 
Now, um, if we go to uh, just thinking about that that time, uh, w- was there some something where you were faced with some sort of adversity or some sort of tough situation? I'm sure you had plenty, but was there any that spring to mind where you, where you just had to look yourself in the mirror and go, mate, <laughs> what, what, what am I doing here? Or yeah. can you sort of share some of that with us? Yeah, plenty. And, um, and, and something that's really relevant for people once they get going. So the first hurdle people go is, oh, they see this big mountain, so how do I get going? Then all of a sudden they're going and they're going hard. And this happened to me. Yep. And imagine this, when you kick off, you're the only person at the bottom of the mountain. You've just got to get yourself up the mountain. Yep. Then imagine you're halfway up and you need more people. So you've got a team of five, a team of ten, doesn't matter what the number is. Yep. You've all of a sudden got other people that you've got to bring up the mountain with you. Mm. I found myself sprinting up the mountain looking behind me and everybody was way back. Mm. And that was because they weren't, they weren't and didn't want to and didn't work at my pace. And that was okay. So the, the analogy there is, You've got to work to your, common, to, to your lowest common denominator. Now, and I use this, this as an example, the analogy of imagine walking into a restaurant that sits 100 people but only has one chef. So 100 people sit down, their orders are taken, the chef gets bombarded with 100 orders. He's going to freak out. Yeah. V- reverse it. You walk in, you've got 10 chefs, but you've only got one person taking orders. The chefs are never going to get the orders. So the key is you've got to make the back end meet the front end mm. so that you, when you move, you've got to move like a soccer team. You can't have the forward score 10 goals and the goalie letting in 11 goals because you don't win. Vice versa. You can't have the goalie saving all the goals and no one scores. So the key is you've got to move as a team. You know, soccer is a great analogy for that. Everyone's got to move together. Lionel Messi, Ronaldo, two best players, arguably the best two players in the world right now. You can work out who's better. Doesn't matter. Neither of them have won a World Cup. Because soccer is about 11 plus the reserves. It's not about one person. And what happens in a lot of organisations when they get going, and I, and I learnt this the hard way, it was all me, 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 because it was from 2002. Yep. Then all of a sudden I've got a team of 20 people and they can't keep up and we're not, we know we're making mistakes left, right and centre. We're not looking at our numbers properly. Yep. Um, you know, and yet we were growing. So we nearly went broke because we were growing too quick. So we had to stop. We had to regroup, we had to look in the revision mirror, we had to gather the troops back together and we had to focus. And that that was probably around 2006 to 2008 where I said, radio, more focus on our internal people and then the customers will come. So we flipped the model, uh, we were able to because we were busy, um, flipped the model and say, right, now we put more effort in and I hired, I think it was 2006 where I hired my first people and culture manager yeah. and I said, I want you to focus on the development of our people internally That and the byproduct of that will be great culture. Yeah, so good. And uh, I imagine for you as well, even though uh, by that stage you were well experienced in business, you'd achieved a lot. I imagine there was still a bunch of learning that you would have got at that point in time because you operated a high frequency, obviously. You've gone hard. It sounds like you were no stranger to putting in the effort. And I guess you would have looked out with all due respect to everybody around you going, come on, guys, what's happening here? Yeah, and so what I did, and and, and this is something I haven't shared with anyone before, um, you know, is what I did there is I I was the smartest person in the room. And I always said, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room you know that's one of the things that you'll find that successful people continue to be successful when they adopt that mentality i don't want to be the smartest person in the room Mm. right i want to be learning constantly and it sits into one of my passions is education and i can explain this because all of a sudden people said oh you started entering all these awards in 2008 2000 so from 2008 through to even to you know to of late we were in awards we were winning awards we won every award you can imagine people go what's the awards about learning 
I started to enter awards so that I was in company of people that were far greater, far better, more awesome than I was. And if I look back, um, actually 2005 was my first entry, I, and these two people are dear friends of mine, and you'll know the brands, Don May from Domino's, yep. right, and Jamie Ferris from Corporate Travel Management, both now good friends of mine, yep. and I met them in 2005 through the awards. Um, you know, Mini Movers, Mike O'Hagan, I met him in 2006. Mm. Um, so I can tell you amazing brands with amazing people, but the catalyst of the awards, why I entered the awards, wasn't to showboat it was actually to surround myself with people that were far greater far smarter and much better at things that that I was and then 2007 I met Luke Trachet from Apollo Motorhomes and the list goes on and I was in the company of great people um, and these people are still friends of mine today and um, so it's funny right I People mindset. Some people would enter awards to make themselves feel good. Yeah, or I to use, it, use it as a marketing piece correct, or whatever it might correct. be. Yeah. Whereas I used it to, to surround myself with people that were far better, far smarter. Because um, I didn't want to be, you know, the king in the room in in my business and the smartest person in the room all the time. I wanted to get out of my comfort zone, you know. And then I was lucky enough to be, um, you know, invited to join Young Presidents Organization, which I've been part of for the last 12, 13 years. Um, and that's another level with amazing people from all walks of life, and it's a global group. So yeah, the key there. Get nervous when you're the smartest person in the room. Surround yourself with people that have done more, achieved more, you know, and be aspirational. Don't be jealous. Don't worry about dragging people down to pull yourself up. You know, get in a room and it's great to be in a room with people that have done stuff that's far greater than you because you learn from everybody. Yeah, mate, so good, so good. We could keep chatting all, all day through all this. Um, I want to double back and talk a little bit about lead generation like and marketing because for our our target market, so, you know, a lot of our clientele here at Trainer HQ are – doing their marketing strategy on in many of them a shoestring budget um, or or no budget and and so consequently looking for all sorts of different strategies so I imagine for you that was what it involved a lot of in the beginning yep. so could you share, share a bit of light on the the concept of you know the way you view marketing and yep. some of the concepts that you think could be valuable for what you know of PTs in the industry yeah great look I'll um this is now my area of expertise right I I studied commerce at uni um I came out with a marketing HR and retailing degree they wanted to kick me out when I was at uni um I did some great stuff in the business world and they made me an adjunct professor. So I'm now an adjunct <laughs> professor in marketing and entrepreneurship. So I love sharing this with people because in, in the next couple of minutes, I'll give you something that would take a year to study and learn. Marketing is the art of telling a story so compelling someone chooses you. So when you're building your marketing campaign, put that at the top. Marketing is the art of telling a story so compelling that people choose you. So therefore, to tell the story, you need to say, it, it needs to include what problem am I solving and how am I going to be relevant to the market? Now, when people say, well, what's relevant mean? If you are not in business, where will they go? Right? And that will help you differentiate what your USP is, your unique selling proposition. Yep. So what problem are you solving? And of course, in, in, you know, you're solving health, lifestyle, health problems, blah, 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 yep. feel good problems, emotional problems, but relevance. If it's not you, then who? So if it's not you, who are they going to go to? And look at now, Debella, they changed their philosophy, they lost half of their business because they thought that they could just produce coffee and that wasn't what Debella Coffee was about. Debella Coffee was about supporting cafe owners to make money. There it is. There's your emotional engagement. We help cafe owners make money. Yes. So what story, telling a compelling story so people choose you. Then there's, once you work that out, then there's three ways that you've got to go and tell the story which makes up your marketing plan. Owning a voice. Owning a voice is your... Um, website, your business card, anywhere you put your logo, your your brand promise. I don't like the word slogan, your brand promise. Yes. Um, anywhere you put that stuff that shows your name, who you are, what you're doing, that's owning a voice. The second is buying a voice and that is advertising. 
So marketing and advertising are completely different. Advertising is is paying for a voice, right? Which is the second part of marketing. So that's your social media, your radio ads, your print media, anything you choose to do. Back in my day, there wasn't social media. Social media was later, right? So buying the voice was a lot more expensive. It's a lot cheaper now to buy the voice. And I'll get back to the financial side in a minute. The third one is earning a voice. Earning a voice is third-party endorsement. Earning a voice is somebody else telling your story for you. That's when you know you have achieved marketing reach. That's when you know you've achieved emotional engagement. That's when you know that people are choosing you because they're telling others. That's your marketing plan. Telling a story. So what is your message so compelling that people choose you? What's your plan, which is around, what am I going to do around owning a voice? Okay, website, business cards, vehicles, um, yada, yada, yada. What's my budget on that? Mm. Buying a voice is your advertising, right? I'm going to use social media first. I'm going to use print media next. I'm going to use third-party referrals, um, kickbacks. Anything you're handing money over is buying a voice, Yep. right? And then the third party is, how are you going to get people to tell your story for you, Mm. right? And what, you know, to sum it up, Debella Coffee went from nothing to the biggest in the country, at growing at a rate of knots. Our turnover when I exited was close to $40 million. My marketing budget, my complete marketing budget was 200000 Now, if you follow bullshit templates and, and numbers, they tell you that you should be spending 10% of your turnover. Yep. You don't need to spend 10% of your turnover. A simple rule of thumb, if you're not getting a 10 times return for every dollar, then you're doing something wrong. If you're not getting a 10 times return for every dollar you put in, you are putting money in the wrong area of owning a voice, buying a voice or earning it. So follow that template because what you'll find is a lot of people aren't even doing all three. You know, they're not even worried about, you know, earning a voice. They're, mm. they're worried about, okay, what does my website look like and, and where am I spending my money? Mm. Well, what programs have you got in place to get people to tell other stories for you? You know, how are you doing member-to-member introductions? Like when we do meet and mingles or, or introductions, we have half the room with current customers, half the room with prospective customers. So they're telling our story for us. Mm. Simple strategy like that. So when you're approaching a new client, right, it's not getting you to approach it, getting someone that knows them, that already trains with you to approach that client. To say, hey, come and bring them with me. Or do you have a program in place that says, hey, one day a month I want you to bring somebody new to come and train, no cost. You know, so it becomes this referral method. It becomes, but not paid referral, not bring me somebody and I'm giving you 10% because that becomes buying a voice. Mm. So that, you know, in a couple of short minutes there, that's what they'll teach you in a marketing school over 12 months. The art of telling a story is so compelling, people choose you. How do you own the voice? How do you buy the voice? And how do you earn the voice? And it's not about how much money you put into it, right? And um, understand that it's never been cheaper to market than what it is right now. So beautiful, so eloquently put and um, absolute marketing gold for anyone out there who's following this. So, mate, thanks very much for sharing that. That's that's wonderful. Um, over to the personal side now, mate, you mentioned you've been on your own personal journey, lost 70 kilos, which is amazing. What I love about it is not only the fact that someone can lose the weight, but more importantly, keep it off mm. and be fit and healthy. So can you just explain to us now, like, the you know, you obviously been through the, the process of doing that. Mm. How do you feel now in terms of your wellness, your, your health and fitness yeah. and so forth? Well, I was the most cocky, confident son of a bitch at, at 167 kilos <laughs> of fine, right? I had a that, boxing that's definitely match. the guy I met that day too. <laughs> yeah, I had a boxing match. I, I was good. I thought, yeah. And, and my weight became my, my hindrance because it actually made me too confident. Um, and then I thought, you know, when people say, oh, you've got to lose the weight because you can't do. And I thought like, well, piss off. I can do. Yeah. You know, I can do, make it happen. Um, I can tell you now that, yeah, I had a boxing match at 167 kilos. It was great, and especially the guy opposite had abs and he had no chance. And, and, <laughs> but I tell you, it was a lot easier at 91 kilos uh, when, I had my, when I had my last fight. Um, you know, you feel different. And the key to it is you don't know what you don't know. 
Mm. Um, and my wake up call was my doctor, who I love dearly, and, he, and he's got some really, really, um, let's just say, comes with a no bedside manner. But, um, you know, and I'll give you the clean version where he said, you know, <laughs> you're, you're the fittest fat fuck I know, and trust me, that's the cleanest version um, I can give you. He said, for you, it'll be a cliff. You just won't wake up one day. And when you're 42 years old and someone says to you, you're just not waking up one day, there's no warning signs with you. There'll just be, you've got great heart rate, you've got no issues, but you're overweight, mate. Like, and you're not just overweight, you're, you're crazy. And I've known you for a long time. Yeah, you can box with anyone. Yeah, you can train. You know, you've got a heart resting heartbeat in the 50s at your weight. But yeah, you're just not going to wake up one day. And I needed that. I needed someone to tell me, especially when you, you know, you're doing well in business and people tell you what, you know, they want to blow smoke up your rear end. Yep. And I had people that love me like my wife. She loves me regardless, but she said, I'm worried about you. You know, and, and you go, okay, Dale, I know you're worried, but everything's okay. I've got good life insurance. We've done all right. Yep. You know, but then when you start to see that, okay, well, it's your kids that need you and, and, and you start living as we all do. Yeah, you live for yourself, but you're living for more than just yourself. You're living for your partner. You're living for your kids and all the rest of it. Um, it was a wake-up call. So number one is, and this is this will help people explain, you don't know what you don't know. And if you're not in that position, you won't know what it feels like to be in that position. Right? You can offer advice. You can offer love. You can offer you know, the environment of support. But if you're not there, you don't know. And I can tell you what it is. Everyone needs something to spark them. And the spark for me would be different than the spark for somebody else, which mm. would be the spark for somebody else. And, you, you know, you eat this shit for breakfast, Brad. You've, you know, you've, you've saved thousands of lives and lost tons of weight for people. Yep. Um, it's everyone needs a spark. There is something that sparks them. And the spark is not the same for everybody. It's not about buying nice clothes. And, and it might be for some, but not others. It's yep. not about, for me, the spark came um, where the doctor, you know, rude awakening, you're not going to wake up. The next spark came when I wanted to buy a Lamborghini. Um, and I loved cars and I was fortunate enough that, you know, I, I love cars. I've been able to afford them. Um, and I went to go and sit in and I was so freaking uncomfortable. It wasn't funny. Yeah. So I ordered that Lamborghini and Anthony still tells the story. He's the manager down at Lamborghini. Yeah. He tells the story and he said, Phil DeBella said, I'm not picking this car up till I lose 20 kilos. You know, and so I gave myself a bit of a goal yeah. um, out there. Now, I didn't do it for the Lamborghini. I was still clear I had to do it for me. I did it because I didn't want to fall off that cliff. Yes. Um, so the message in it, you don't know what you don't know. You know, everyone needs a spark to make it happen. Um, and if you are overweight um, and you think you're amazing, I did too, <laughs> you're going to feel even more amazing once you get your life. And it's not the weight. I treated the weight, and this is the point I really want to hammer home. The reason I, I, I would lose the weight, put it back on, I would train, da 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 when I shift my focus and said lifestyle and weight becomes a byproduct, so I get my lifestyle. So what I did is I treated my weight the same way I treated my business. I didn't do business to make money, right? I knew that if I got the business principles right, that I would make money. And the moment I applied it to my personal life and I went, hang on, you've got this wrong, Phil. Treat your life as a lifestyle. Give yourself more time. Don't not eat that pizza because you're punishing yourself. Mm. Don't eat that pizza because it's not healthy to eat the whole thing. Eat two slices of it. Don't eat that packet of lollies because, you know, you can. Have a couple of lollies mm. because the rest of the sugar is too much for you. Mm. So I started to treat it about life. Don't do exercise to lose weight. Do exercise because your heart's going to love you for it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And what happened was the byproduct became the weight mm. and the weight dropped off um, and the rest of it. But I also use the resources around me. I eat more food now than I ever have. Right, and um, I know because I was keeping diaries then, and I keep diaries now. Mm. I eat more food than I ever had, but I never had breakfast and lunch before, and I would dump at dinner, and I would reward myself. I haven't eaten breakfast, haven't eaten lunch. I've yep. trained this morning. Yep. I'm going to eat two pizzas. <laughs> Whereas, and so the problem became: how do I force myself to eat small? 
And one of the tools available was to go and get a gastric bypass. So I went and got my stomach size reduced. Yeah. Um, so now even if I want to eat a whole pizza, it ain't happening because it's coming out. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I've never been ashamed of telling people that I went and got help. Now, there's people that have gone and had the same procedure but still haven't lost weight because they fill that space with crap. Yeah. Um, it actually is a very hard, it's a brave thing to do. I've had over 10 mates of mine go and do it. Um, it's worked for all of them bar one. Mm. Um, why? Because the mindset's right, they've treated it right. But it is a hard thing to do. It's a brave thing to do. But it was, it's a resource. And if you use that resource right, yep. it becomes successful. So that resource for me made me eat small and often. Mm. I had to retrain the way I ate. I had to be focused about it. And I still am very disciplined. I don't eat a lot of sugar. I don't eat a lot of sweets. Um, I fill my stomach with good stuff. Um, you know. And yeah, sure, I like to have some lollies here and there or whatever, but I'm not focused on that. Um, and I don't treat it of, that I'm missing out. I treat it as lifestyle. Mm, so good man so, such great uh, advice and so many great insights mate we could continue all day with all this and uh, but for those of you who are tuning into train hq we're we're, we're going to be very privileged to have phil come down to the gold coast at our big end of year event and you're going to be presenting live in person there Looking sharing your story it. again so um I'm, I'm pumped up for that so mate just wanted to say um you know a deep thank you to not only from myself but from all the trainer hq community that someone um that who's been in business, who's achieved so much, um, comes and gives up their time uh, in the benefit of others. When I asked, uh, just to share everyone the story, when I asked Phil about this, it was everything's been a yes. Yep. Hey, mate, I'd love to get you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> mate, would you be open to it? Yep. <laughs> and um, it reminds me back in, I, I used to run the peak physique business underneath the roof of Healthworks on the river, a gym down at Tenerife. And I heard about your name. I reckon when you first launched, probably back in 0203, and the owner there said they had a cycling team. And again, I'm not sure if you remember this. But yeah, I do, yeah. yeah, yeah. Met this great guy, Philip DeBelli, started up this new coffee company. And if we put the coffee into the head, a little cafe there, and he's, he sponsored the cycling team. He's doing this. Oh, man, this guy's awesome. You know what I mean? And back in the day, you, you would have been early startup. Then. And again, back to the, the concept of just giving out and getting yourself out there. So, mate, all that stuff, um, you know, it really rings true and we get to hear it in person and more importantly, the people who come to the event at the end of the year, we get to see it in the flesh as well. So, Yeah, I look forward to it. I, like I said, I, to me, if everyone does a little bit and everyone gives a little bit and, I, and, and I'm very philanthropic about that, not just with money but with time, if everyone does a little bit and as you said, I did it back from when I was a startup, mm. you know, obviously I can give more now than what I could then but um, I still gave. My da- it's something of my dad, you know, my dad brought up a family with $450 a week and he still used to give his $20 to the Heart Foundation and he still does and he's on a pension. Heart Foundation, Leukemia Foundation, four or five charities, he gives them a little bit. Yep. And he said to me, if everyone does a little bit, not just with money but with their time, and I think with COVID we need to remember this, is, um, we need to care for ourselves mm-hmm. and we need to care for each other. And if everyone shows a little bit more care, if everyone looks after the, the person next to them a little bit better and, and, and wants to be in service, then let the rest take care of itself. And, and I'll finish on this note, Brad, from my perspective, because I can talk all day. Um, <laughs> it's an opportunity for all our kids. So not only for ourselves, but anyone that's got kids, um, to bring our kids up to be part of the change we want to see in the world, which is Gandhi's words. I'm not wise enough, but I love those words. Um, bring them up to be, and, and I live my life to be part of the change I want to see, but bringing them up to be in service. Uh, because what's being lost and the opportunity that is for our kids is for every kid that doesn't want to be in service, there's an opportunity for somebody who does um, wanting to be in service. And that doesn't matter whether it's holding the door open for somebody, whether it's opening a business um, and providing a service to someone or, or buying someone a cup of coffee because they can't afford it. It doesn't matter what it is. But if we breed that natural culture of wanting to be in service and being part of the change we want to see, then I'll tell you, we're going to build a better community, a better society and a better country. 
Love it, man. Love it. Thank you very much, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, I'm just really grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Awesome.